The, uh, there's a lot of, there's a big movement today for people to understand identity. And um, I'm going to tap into that today in a way that will we'll, uh, come at it at an angle, which is this. The Gospels and the Apostles were intent on establishing his identity because in his identity we find our identity. And we have a long passage. I'm going to take the entire chapter uh, 14 of Matthew. You'll be surprised at the, at the stealth and swiftness with which we cover this passage. So let's go. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. And because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. Now, this is a significant passage. We've already uh, heard about John the Baptist in prison. We've already encountered John the Baptist identifying Jesus. But now we learn from John and he tells us, uh, he tells us that John, uh, he actually tells us he's dead. You understand that? Because he said, this is John the Baptist who's been raised from the dead. So this is how John tells us that, uh, or this is how Matthew tells us that John is dead. And, and so we're struck by this and, uh, and we, have, we lean into this text, but there's something I want you to see. I'm about to do a little parallel. I've been telling you that Jesus is identifying himself in a way as a new Moses. And Matthew's writing his gospel as if it's, an, it's a new Torah in a way. But this passage seals it up in a way that um, will, will shock us. In fact, if you're, if you're a person who loves doing Bible studies like this, there are parallels between Jesus and Moses. Now, you can find lots of parallels between Jesus and, and some of the main characters of the Bible. But if you do Moses, there's about 20. There's, actually, there's, a, there's over 30 of them that, that you can unpack. One of the parallels that's interesting is that when Moses came on the scene, there had been 400 years of prophetic silence. God had said they were going to be sent into Egypt. They were going to become a slave nation, and they were going to be there 400 years, and there was going to be, there was going to be one sent to deliver them. John the Baptist comes along after 400 years of prophetic silence, and he rises on the scene, and when he does, they want to know who he is. We're going to look at that in just a second. But I want you to know that, one th that you and I understand that, that John, John the Baptist, was the revival of the prophetic ministry. One of the major roles of the prophet was to keep the king in line. I'm not kidding about this. Always, the, ki the, the, the kings had to listen to the prophets whether they liked it or not. And they were at their most vulnerable spots when they acted against the prophets. And I mean vulnerable to God. And you remember that it was, it was a prophet that came to David when, when David had committed sin with Bathsheba and had killed Uriah. And it was the prophet Nathan that came and exposed that sin in his heart and exposed him. Thou art the man. You're the object of my story. Well, John the Baptist is not subtle at all. 
And he's been publicly rebuking Herod for his adultery. And it's a weird kind of adultery because this Herod is a, has his brother Philip's wife. I, don't, I hope I never live in a culture that's not shocked by that. But we almost do. We almost do. Now, the role of the prophet, part of the role of the prophet is confrontation. And you should never expect to be part of a covenant family of God without confrontation. And you should never expect the prophetic role, the prophetic ministry to be without confrontation. Now, hear me very carefully on this because we have lots of people that prophesy in this church. If somebody gets up publicly and starts in on a, on a confrontation, they're probably going to get confronted by the pastor. Because the Bible's real clear that the, that the, that the, that the public role of prophecy is edification, exhortation, and comfort. But I want to tell you 100%, the prophetic, the prophetic ministry right now still has a role of correction. And there are many times when words need to be given to people and they need to receive them. Lots of times the prophet does not know what they're saying. I can personally testify to a, a prophet giving me a word that saved my life when the enemy had laid a snare for my feet. And a, and a prophet spoke to me in a way that shook me and caused me to amend myself. I, don't, I didn't need edification at that time. I needed confrontation. Amen? Amen. Now, it's entirely appropriate for John the Baptist to confront King Herod, this tetrarch, this ruler. It's entirely appropriate. They're in the same covenant. He's the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews whose law is the Torah who says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. He's standing on good ground. Why am I saying that? Because it's not the role of the church to go around and condemn the world all the time. And we, we conflate this into that. Don't do it. What this does, it says there's ground in the family of God for the family of God to have confrontation. Just like there's ground in every family to have confrontation. If there's no confrontation in your blood family, your family is too sick to help. Because every family needs confrontation. That's how we get well. Every marriage needs confrontation. That's how we get well. And the kingdom of God needed confrontation so they could get well. This Herod was sick. If you don't believe he was sick, let's look at it. But Herod's birthday came. The daughter of Herodias danced before. This is why I don't think grown-up men should have birthday parties. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was sorry because of his oaths and because his guests, he commanded, he commanded it to be given. And he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Wow. What did it? The lust in this man's heart. The fact that this man was dominated by lust. This man confronted him about his sinfulness. And being confronted about it, it becomes the, it becomes the avenue through which he kills the prophet. Now, but who is this prophet? Because I've titled this sermon, The Prophet. And the prophet I'm talking about is not John. 
John, we have John the prophet and we have the prophet. In John 1, we read that they asked John the Baptist, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? That's always the one that I think most people have never really looked at. Are you the prophet? Notice it's in capital letters. And he said, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now had been sent from the, uh, now they'd been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet. I find this interesting and you're going to hold this idea for later. John answered, I baptize you with water. But among you stands one you do not know. And even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Now, let's, just, a, just a quick unpacking of this. First of all, John won't call himself Elijah. Jesus does. This is not unusual. Jesus, won't, Jesus doesn't call himself who he really is very often. He usually goes around and lets others say it. When they say, when, when Pilate says, are you the Christ? You say that I am. He usually answers that way. Only to the woman of Samaria does he answer directly and tell her directly. But most of the time, not. So that's not surprising. But, so, but they're asking him, are you the Christ? You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. Then why are you baptizing? Now, he says, I baptize you with water. Water is significant in this whole sermon and in this text. He says, there's one among you. Say among you. The, the, this idea of among you is, is wonderfully tied by John uh, into that idea of the prophet. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, the idea of the prophet, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. This is Moses in Deuteronomy at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, saying to them, there's coming one like me. And from that time until the time of Jesus, they knew that among, among what they were to expect was the prophet. Now, the whole of this text then becomes wrapped up in unpacking for us who this prophet is. And I want to I'm I'm going to help you with this. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore. Let the Lord to me. You were right. They were placed by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw great crowds. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, first this. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. That's what death does to you. I don't care who you are. You got to sort it out. And Jesus was like us in every way. He shared in our humanity. He tasted what we taste. He, he tasted 
he tasted life and death. And the Bible says uh, he tasted sin for us. And so here he's tasting the grief. And he withdraws to go by himself. But because of the work of God on this man, the crowds heard it. They followed him on foot from the towns. And he went ashore and he saw a great crowd. And you got to love this. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. A couple of weeks ago, Steve Stewart wonderfully preached a message to you and talked about compassion and talked about it out of Matthew and talked about it as the motivation for what was driving Jesus. I was just, uh, last week, you remember, I, 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 we preached. I jumped in my car, I left you. I drove to Oklahoma and I met a young pastor there. And I was, I, was, I was so moved by this young pastor because, because he has it. Um, what a story he and his wife have. I, I, don't, I don't have time to unpack it, but they, they've been married 19 years. So like six or seven years into their marriage, they divorced. They failed at divorce and got remarried. <laughs> they have three teenage sons now. Uh, he's been in a rock band and, and fronted for sticks and Credence Clearwater Revival and all kinds of all, all kinds of bands and stuff. But God called him into the ministry. He laid down business and he laid down rock and roll <laughs> and he and he went into the ministry. And he started a church. And I, I was so moved by him because most of the time when you're with renewal people they're talking about faith. But he says, no, 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 Pastor, it's love. It's not faith. It's love. It's the love that drew him. It's the love that compelled him. It's the love that sent him. Now, when they heard I was coming, they have church on, on Sunday morning, Sunday evening. And he said, we moved church to Monday night. Why'd you do that? Because you're going to be here. So I, you know, I, I got up and talked too long. <laughs> it's what you do when you go out of town. It's not what I do at home. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, he's got a congregation. Uh, I think he's got a congregation, 120, 30, 40 people. And about 40 people are there. M- mostly, you know, your, your leaders come to church on Monday night. And, and they're there. Listen, five hours later, they're still there. They won't leave. Why? Because they want... You've got to understand something. And I want you to hear this as it is. I'm there... As him. You understand that, don't you? They were out there on the streets. As him. You you get this? You know, most of the world's never going to see Jesus unless they see him in you. And, you know, they don't know me enough to debunk me, so they actually thought I was special. (laughs) Can we talk? This is real, people. This is real. And five hours, these people are still pressing into Jesus and just want Jesus. They want him to touch them. And so so 40 people and every one of them want me to pray for them. And not a little bit. Do you understand? You do understand. But this is who you are. And what I'm saying to you this morning, if you get this, 
is that these apostles wanted us to get his identity right. Because if we got his identity right, we'll get ours right. And it'll, train, it'll transform us. This pastor said, he said, I'm almost a heretic, pastor. I know I am. Because he says, I believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the bride. And I said, man, you're singing the song. I want to sing. Do you get this? The bride here now representing him in the world. Loving with his compassion. He had compassion on them. You're going out of here. And, and all the things you don't want to do, you'll do them. Because when you stand in front of somebody, the compassion will come. Won't it, Vicky? <laughs> because he's in you. He had compassion on them and healed the sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the day is not now over. Send the crowds away and go to the villages and buy food to buy food for themselves. And here's this passage that just astonishes us. I'm going, to go, I'm going to go through so much so fast, your head's spinning. But I, I assure you, you've heard enough sermons on, the, on feeding the multitude and on, breaking and, and on, and on uh, uh, walking on the water. You've heard more sermons than you can ever live up to on those things. So, so I'm going to give it to you a different way. They need not go away. You give them something to eat. We had boot camp here this week, and 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 Robin and 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 John and, and Daniel and and uh, Jan and our beloved Caleb. How we love you, sir. They 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 trained and equipped people. All the while, what was lying behind it is, you go give them something to eat. Boot camp is where soldiers get ready to go be the war. You give them something to eat. He said, we, we said, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and, and said a blessing. And when he broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples. And his disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they looked up and they took up 12 baskets full uh, of the broken pieces left over. And all who ate them were about 5,000 men. Besides the women and children. In the ancient world. That means about 25,000 people. <laughs> I mean. People. It was a crowd. It was an incredible crowd. But here's the deal. Jesus says. Bring it to me. Feed them. Now. There's a couple things going on here. The first thing is, Jesus is turning them into him. Okay? He does the blessing. He gives them the food. They feed them. A couple of, uh, November, a year and a half ago, I was in uh, Mozambique, and, and Heidi was having a service, and it was a, it was a Monday morning, and when, in the service, she had all the widows, and she asked us to bless all the widows, and part of that meant if you have something to give them, give them. And so we were all there, and we had, uh, we had our, our Mozambique money, and we had whatever we had. And what we did was we just gave everything we had to the widows. Now, this is one of the hardest days I ever had because, because what Heidi did next was she said, she said, now what we're going to do now is go out in the street and and go out into the community, and we're going to go door to door, and we're going to bless everybody, and we're going to take care of them. What does that mean? You're going to give them what they need. I'm like, 
Heidi, we just gave all the widows everything we had. We didn't have anything, folks. We didn't have anything. And she was, she, listen, she was unmoved by my argument. <laughs> None of y'all are surprised at that, are you? You know, what she, you know what she did? She sent us. Why? Because we were the bread. Oh, you have to get this. She sent us. And we went out helpless, hopeless. I know you want me to, I, I know you want me to tell you that all the miracles that happened. I'm just going to tell you, I was just as hopeless as I went out as I was when, when I was standing there thinking about going out. And I had a fabulous day in Jesus. Incredible, fabulous day in Jesus. Ministering to everybody everywhere we went. Being welcomed in every home. And eating their bread and drinking their water. Unbelievable. They took up 12 baskets full. Why the 12 baskets? You should know by now. He, he feeds the multitude. What was he doing? In case you don't know it, he was being Moses. He was being Moses to them. He was being the new Moses. And in Exodus 16, we have the passage about the manna where, where they go out, they get out of Egypt. And when they're out of Egypt, they're hungry and they have no food. And God takes care of them. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speed past this because he, he, feeds them, he feeds them manna. Well, don't miss it. When you come back here, this is Jesus redoing Moses. But he doesn't do what Moses did. He doesn't do it the same way. He feeds them once. It's a sign, folks. It's one of those things that's actually a sign and a wonder. Your idea is that sometimes we like, we, we're supposed to repeat this. No, you're supposed to be this. The 12 baskets full is because Jesus was reorganizing the new Israel, a new Israel in the spirit, an Israel in signs and wonders, an Israel that is the new kingdom of God. He's been teaching him parables about the kingdom. And now he takes up 12 baskets full because he's saying that is the 12 tribes and the 12 tribes are enough. The people of God are enough. You're the food for them. I'm sending you to feed them. You're the, you're the daily bed. You're the manna of God. And so we come to this passage and then in John's passage, he explains it and they all get offended. And you know what we Christians turned it into? We turned it into an argument about the sacrament for crying out loud. What is wrong with us? What is so wrong with us? Don't you know that it's the spirit that gives life? What does he do to us? He imparts his life into us and now his life is, and we are food for them. You are what they need. You are what he has sent into the world. And so immediately, we, it's not done yet. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Do you, do you notice Jesus desperately trying to get by himself? Desperately trying to find time. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But, but the boat by this time was a long way from land and beaten by the waves. For the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. 
And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, don't be afraid. It's a test of waters. This is all in the Bible. It's everywhere in the Bible. But it's especially in Bible in seminal moments. The test of waters comes to Moses when Moses takes the children uh, to, uh, through the Passover meal and out of Egypt. And, they, and now they're on the road. And suddenly the Egyptian army is pursuing them. And they come to the sea. And God leads Moses to lead them through the sea. The test of waters. That same test will come upon Moses' follower, Joshua, as Joshua will be called to go to the Jordan and he will be called to lead them into the sea. Now, I want you to understand something about this. Moses didn't go in the sea by himself and Joshua didn't go by himself. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. And he cried, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him. Truly, you're the son of God. Oh, yeah. Truly, you're the prophet. There's none like you. And listen, the point, we constantly make the point that Peter got out of the water. The point was that, that Jesus had mastery over the water. And the point was that Jesus had mastery over the food. And the point was the, the point was who he was. The disciples go everywhere proclaiming who he is. Why? Because I tell you that once it gets riveted inside of you who he is, then who you are will get settled inside of you and the peace will come inside of you. And not only that, not only the peace, but the indestructibility will come inside of you. Jesus is looking for disciples that are indestructible. Jesus is looking for disciples that are, that are unable to be perturbed, unable to be set aside, unable to be discouraged, unable to be dis- disappointed, unable, as we often say, to be offended, unable to be taken out by anything that comes against them in this life because they know who they are because of who he is. And because of that, they can endure anything, they can overcome anything, they can face anything, they They can take any command. This is who you are. This is who you are. I used to wonder. I have to tell you, it's confused me for years that people would get discouraged because there's conflict in a church. Read your Bible. There's conflict on every page. You can't go anywhere where there's not conflict. I can't get discouraged about conflict in the church. I'm I'm dealing with the sin of the world. I'm dealing with the one who's come to solve the sin problem. The one who's come to heal us of what's wrong with us. I can't get discouraged because somebody says something false about me. I can't get discouraged because people get in a twist about the carpet. That's an inside joke y'all don't know about. Please get this. 
I'll never forget it. I'm 21 years old. I'm newlywed married. We go to a church. We start a youth group. They've never had a youth group. The, the, the anointing came on us. God was so gracious to us. A church that had four teenagers in it. It was not a very large church. By the end of the summer, we had a healthy 25 people strong youth group. It was fantastic. It was exciting. People were getting saved. People were reading the Bible for the first time in their life and saying, nobody's ever told us about this guy the way, the way he is when we find him and read him. And we were so excited and we go home and we go home to Mississippi and we're, I'm playing football. And during the football season, I'm getting calls. Some enemy, the enemy has come and sowed seed in the church. And that church had blown to smithereens in a scant two months after we were gone. And the enemy says to me, it's all in vain. I never even gave a thought that I wasn't going to do it again. I knew I was going to do it again. And we went and joined a church, and I'll never forget it because I wanted to go to this church because I could see that God was at work in this church. And the night they, we joined a church in the morning, that night they had a business meeting and split wide open. And I went, this happens everywhere I go. <laughs> Thank God, those times it was not about me. <laughs> <laughs> the point I'm making is this. I was being trained in how it really is in the world. How it really is in the world. Misunderstandings, lies, betrayal, adultery. Faint-heartedness, unbelief. And it comes in wave after wave. And Jesus walks into the midst of a world that is no different than that. And he demonstrates to them that he has mastery over disease and he has a mastery over the food supply and he has mastery over the weather. And listen, he, he doesn't live his life demonstrating that. He lives his life raising up a people who he's going to send into the world of disease and into the world of financial chaos and into the world of horrible weather catastrophes. He's sending them into the world because he says you're going to you're going to be the agents of my kingdom wherever it manifests. And so there's kingdom sightings on the streets because there's some people who believe in a God who wants to find somebody on the street and take somebody's hands off their throat so that they can breathe and live their life. And we still live in the mystery of what is not yet solved. But I'm telling you, you're the solution. You're what Jesus has done about what's wrong with the world. He didn't heal the food supply and keep it healed. He didn't heal the bodies and keep them healed. He didn't heal the weather and the wind and the waves and keep them healed. He sent us filled with him. That's the answer to the world. And so this week, this is where Moses has the mastery over the sea. And so this week, nothing, listen, I know me. Nothing is more shocking to me than to go into a place and minister and then to hear the people talk about you to you and say, it was Jesus himself. No, and you know, you know how you snivel in your fears and your anxieties and your self-loathing and your weakness. They say, no, when you stood there, it was Jesus himself. 
There's a miracle. There's a miracle. Jesus. (laughs) He could put on his Allen suit. And change people's lives. And that's what he's doing with you, church. You're what Jesus is doing with what's wrong in the world. You're the 12 baskets full. And when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent round to all that region and brought to him all who were sick. They lined up to be talking to our sister and stood there all night long because they could see something was happening. And they implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. That's the one that gets me, Tommy. That's the one that gets me every time. And as many as touched it were made well. And this is Jesus, the prophet, the son of God, for whom to know is to have your world reordered and is to make you able to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things. And you are, you are him. So we're going to bless you and send you out of here because the world needs Jesus. This is just a gathering. The church is out there. This is just a gathering. The bride of Christ is out there teaching school in the schools, clerking in the stores, doing engineering in the labs, construction on the work sites, feeding people behind a window, cutting someone's hair. Jesus, everywhere you go, Jesus. And they can't stop him. And they can't destroy him. Stand together. Twelve baskets full. Twelve baskets full. Twelve baskets full. There's two responses to make today to Jesus. One is to be filled again with him, just to be filled with him again. I always want him to touch me. I tell you, I, I still want him to touch me. Um, the other night, I was, it, was, um, it was Friday night, and, and John stood up and was talking. And when he started talking about the grace of Jesus, it came on me sitting there. <laughs> and he was, he was touching me again. <laughs> and Caleb got up and just said a few words at the end. And Jesus was ministering to me again. And some of you just need Jesus to touch you again. He needs, you need him to lift up your broken heart. You need him to open your eyes. You need food for tomorrow. You need help for what you're faced with. We're going to pray for you. We're going to, this is a house of prayer. We pray for one another. And then some are going to be healed. Somebody, somebody with, a, with, a, with a, a problem in their, in their left hip is going to be healed today. Um, 
somebody um, uh, with, with, a, with a problem in their jaw is going to be healed today. There's going to be some people healed today. You're going to get the compassion of Jesus is here to heal you as well. Um, one of the most wonderful miracles that comes to people is to get touched by Jesus in such a way that the problem they were looking at looks different. So come, if you need Jesus to minister to you, come. Come, let us pray for you. It's a house of prayer. Come, let us pray for you, Bernie. You got that jaw? Somebody lay their hands on Bernie's jaw. Come on. Yeah, ministry team, as you see people coming, just come on and start praying for them. It's fine. Come together. Come for prayer and come to pray. You know how to do it. Face forward if you're coming for prayer. I want somebody. Boy, I, I love you guys. I've come to love you guys. I, I don't know why God sent you here. Um, hey, guys, these guys are so wonderful. They're so much fun. They got such a life. 53 years of marriage right here. Right? Yeah, Amen. Come on. come on. Come on. 53 years of love. And, and God sent them here, and they've been hungry, and they're getting touched. Get in touch. Bob, Bob, why don't y'all come up? Come up and pray for this. You, Bob. Yeah. Both of you, come up here as a couple and pray for them. Come up here and pray for this couple. Minister to them. Interesting lives, too. Fascinating lives. Yeah, come on. Uh, let me have some ushers because somebody might fall. Power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody that may, they may fall. Come on. If you're a guest in our church, don't hold back. If you want somebody to pray for you, this is a house of prayer. We pray for the sick. We pray for problems. We, we're here to bless people. We're here to help one another. I need somebody to come pray for this precious girl. Come on. Yeah, come on. Can, can we Are you get down here for prayer, Ashley? Are you looking for somebody to pray for you? Somebody somebody come pray for Ashley. And this dear lady right over here. Yeah, come on. Come on. We need some more women over here on this side to help minister, please. I'll warn you, at New Life City, you're going to get touched by the Spirit and by hands. <laughs> Daniel, yeah, there you go. There you Vicky. Go. Okay. I'm going to bless you. My precious wife is at the table out there. If you're a guest, don't leave without meeting Gail. We call her Mama Gail. And she has a gift for you. I think uh, Ben is out there as well. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord, my God, make his face shine on you. And may he be gracious unto you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you grace and give you peace. The shalom that only Yeshua can bring.
is yours. Amen. God bless you, church.